8th chapter. Verse 42. I appreciate Brother Timothy leading service this morning. Amen. I have quite a few families out of town, but it's good to see you here this morning. All right, in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. <clears throat> Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Amen. Father, we come up here right now, we ask your blessing, be upon the reading of your holy word, we give you all praise and glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I want to teach you on the doctrine of Satan, the doctrine of Satan and the fallen angels, the doctrine of Satan and the doctrine of fallen angels. How many of y'all live on planet Earth? Most of you, two or three of you live on planet Earth. Well, good. What other planets do y'all live on? The rest of you live on. How do you know what planet you live on? Yeah, but that's not a planet. You're on Earth, right? Right, right. How many live on planet Earth? Here's what planet you live on. You live on Pluto? You just came down to visit a little bit? Oh, okay. Just to do a service today? Good. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> In the universe, say the universe, and particularly around planet Earth, you just picture the globe. Earth, all right? In the universe and around, especially planet Earth, there is surrounding planet Earth a network of demonic spirits called the kingdom of darkness. It's all around planet Earth, okay? So it doesn't matter where you are. If you're today on the top of planet Earth, you're at the bottom of planet Earth, there are spirits that are all around planet Earth, okay? It's called the kingdom of darkness. Let me study the kingdom of darkness. I thank God for this message. I, uh, when I got through studying this, I just wrote a prayer of thanks to God. I said, Lord, thank you for this message. Because you're going to learn so much about the way the kingdom of darkness operates and the way Satan operates so that you can identify things in the world and in your life, etc., etc. It will help you discern the difference between the things of God and the things of the kingdom of darkness. But we are in warfare. We are at war against an invisible uh, enemy that is surrounding our planets just all around. And so we're going to spend some time teaching you on the doctrine of Satan and demonic spirits. It is a kingdom. Let's go to Matthew 12. <clears throat> Matthew 12, verse 1. 
Now, I learned a lot in preparation uh, about this as I studied, so I'm looking forward to the opportunity of speaking to you. Okay, verse 25 of Matthew chapter 12. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto him, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his, say with me, kingdom stand? So he is over a kingdom. Now, the Bible in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 makes reference to the king of Tyrus and the king of Babylon. The king of Tyrus, the king of Babylon, are not just, it's not just talking about men. It's talking about the king behind the kings. And so, you know, in the past, I have never really saw the term king used for the devil. I know it's called the prince of the power of the air, but I've never seen until studying yesterday uh, this truth that Satan is a king. Amen. He is called the king of Tyrus and the king of Babylon, uh, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> so he is a king over a kingdom, and this kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, number one. Say a kingdom of darkness. It is a kingdom of sin and unrighteousness. It is a kingdom of sickness and disease. It is a kingdom of deception. And it is a kingdom of sorrow and death. So if you want to know where uh, these things come from that we just mentioned, it is in the realm of the kingdom of darkness <clears throat> or Satan's kingdom. So let's look at it again. Take time to write notes. It will be good for you to do that this morning. A kingdom of darkness, in contrast to Jesus, or God's kingdom, the kingdom of light. Okay? His kingdom is a kingdom of sin and unrighteousness. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and holiness. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of sickness and disease. God's kingdom is a kingdom of health and life. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of deception. God's kingdom is a kingdom of truth. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of sorrow and death. God's kingdom is a kingdom of joy and life. So whenever you start looking at various things that are going on, maybe sickness, disease, whatever that's in your life, or things that are in your life, now you can discern what kingdom these things are coming from. Okay, do you understand that? What I just shared with you in those brief statements about what the kingdom of Satan is like is one of the most important doctrines for you to get this morning. If you get what I just said in that short, brief amount of time, it will help you for the rest of your life to understand what is going on in your life. Because a lot of times when you're going through things or experiencing things, you have a tendency to try to figure out, well, where is this coming from? What is this about? What I just shared with you is the key to understanding what kingdom is operating 
in that particular area. Now, the Bible tells us that in the last days, there will be a rise of this activity. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. In the last days, there will be a rise of spiritual activity. 1 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 1, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. So the doctrine that I'm going to be teaching you is very important, especially in the light of us being in the last days. So the Spirit of God speaketh expressly that in the latter days or the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Why? Because they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. All right? So we have a prophetic word in the last days, a rise of activity from the demonic world, and it will influence people not just people in the world, but it will influence people in the church, people that are in the faith. They will depart, many of them, from the faith because they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So the spirits will come and they will seek to seduce you away from your walk with God. And they will seek to penetrate your life with false doctrines. And in doing so, the Bible says in the last days, many will depart from the faith. Now, there's always been demonic activity, always been seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. But in the last days especially, it is a prophetic word and warning to the church that there will be a great departing from the truth as these spirits are unleashed on your life. So you need to understand, and I need to understand, and we need to take warning that we are, number one, in the last days, and that they are going to come after you. They are going to come after your children. If you leave God, if your children leave God, the Bible is very clear why they did it. It is because they gave heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils spirits who have the, <clears throat> the working of seduction in their life. They will seek to seduce you away from God. And so we have a prophecy of the last day rise of activity. There will be rise in occultism, spiritism, uh, Satanism in the last days. And so then Jude 3 tells us Jude writing <clears throat> to the church is a door into the book of Revelation Jude says this beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith <clears throat> so instead of departing from the faith you are to earnestly contend for the faith. That means you're going to have to fight. 
that these spirits are going to be launched against you, against the church of the living God, to seduce you, to fill you with lies and deception. And so Jude uh, is telling us to contend for the faith. That means you're going to have to fight. That in any time that you stop fighting in this kingdom of God, you have departed from the faith. If you are no longer fighting now, then you're no longer, you have departed from the faith. Because in order to stay in the faith, maintain your walk with God, you must contend. So Jude was about to sit down and write his book, and he was going to write his book on salvation. But he completely changed the direction of the writing of his book. He sat down and said, I, it was equal to, for me to write of a common salvation. But then he completely changed that, and he started writing about contending for the faith, which is once and for all delivered to the saints. Okay? So it must have been very important because in his heart and his mind, he wanted to talk about salvation. But as he began to write, the Holy Ghost came on him, and he used you to write a warning to the church of the last days to tell you you are going to have to fight. You're going to have to contend for the faith, not any faith, but the one true faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints, that you and I are going to have to fight for that apostolic message in the last days, because there will be spirits that will be coming after you to seduce you and to fill you with false doctrine. So we are to contend for the faith, especially in the last days, so we do not depart from that faith. In the book of Jude, he gives one illustration after another about people who apostatize, people who backslid, angels that fell, so on and so forth, as a warning to you and I that we must fight, continue to contend for the faith which was once and for all <clears throat> delivered to the saints. So it's important for us as a church to know <clears throat> that we're in the last days and that there is going to be a riot of true spiritual activity and that means that we must be fighting like never before. Amen. And if at any time, I will say this, if at any time any of you pull out your little white flag and say, I surrender, that's all the devil wanted from you. Okay? You say, all right, lift the pressure. Get the pressure off of me. I'm tired of it. You pull that white flag. Can I tell you something? You might surrender, but the devil will never surrender. See, it, it, you know, there's some armies, they'll pull a white flag out, and the other army will stop fighting. See what I'm saying? They'll stop fighting because that army surrendered, so there's no need to fight. But something you need to understand about the kingdom of darkness, you can pull your little white flag out today. And you can wave it and say, I'm, I'm not going to fight anymore. And if you think the devil is going to stop his war against you, you don't understand anything about God or the kingdom of darkness. Just because you pull your little white flag out and said, I'm not going to fight today, does not mean the devil's going to lay down his weapons and stop fighting you. You cannot pull out the white flag. You have to continue to fight. 
Amen. Because even if you pull your little flag out, even if you quit the church, depart from the faith, the devil is not going to quit. He's not going to give up. So if you want the pressure to be lifted off of you, the warfare to be lifted off of you, he won't do it, even if you surrender. So the Bible tells us, and gives us this warning about the rise of spiritual activity, occultism, Satanism in the last days, and its desire to seduce us and to fill us with doctrines of devils. But Jude gives us the answer. Contend for the faith, which is once and for all delivered to the saints. And the way we do that, obviously, is by spiritual weapons. Prayer, fasting, attending church, winning souls, obeying the word of God in your life. If you do that, you don't have anything to worry about because you will be victorious because this battle is not equal. Amen. God is always going to win. It's not an equal war. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? God's always going to win. So as long as you do what you're supposed to do, and that is contend for the faith, you'll always win. You don't have to worry about it. Now, the good news is this. Unlike the doctrine of dualism that teaches that good and evil are eternal, you with me here today, that is a false doctrine. Evil had a beginning, and evil will have an end. So that's the good news today. There will be a time in the future when there will be no evil because God's going to completely defeat it. So that dualistic doctrine of good and evil being eternal is not a true doctrine. It had evil had a beginning and it will have an end. Praise the Lord. So I want to be on the winning side. I want to stay on the winning side. I want to be a winner and not a loser. Now, if you want to be a loser, then join the kingdom of darkness. Because the king that's over that kingdom is nothing but a failure. He's an apostate. He is an loser. If you want to be a loser, join his kingdom. If you want to be a winner, you get in God's kingdom and you live for the Lord. Amen? And I want to be a winner. I don't want to be on a losing team. I want to be on the winning team. So I want to serve the Lord. I'm not going to give in to the lies of the devil. So it's important for us to understand these doctrines because of the last day's attack against the church. Now, as we read to you, he has a kingdom, Matthew 12 and 26. Go back over there, please. <clears throat> he has a kingdom. Now, kingdom, domain, say domain. <coughs> when you have a kingdom, First of all, we have to define domain because we're talking about kingdom or a king over a domain. So domain equals, number one, the rule and the reign. And then number three, it means the territory over which a king rules. All right? So if you have a domain, that means that a, a, a king rules over a certain thing, certain territory, so on and so forth. So if we have a kingdom of Satan, a kingdom of darkness, that means that he has to be a king over that territory. Right? So this is new for me to understand. I've never really saw Satan as a king until yesterday. But he does, according to the word of the Lord, does have a kingdom. And if he has a kingdom, a domain, a territory over which he rules, that means he must be a king. 
And if he's a king, that means he has servants in his kingdom that serve him. And those are fallen spirits and demonic spirits. It is called the kingdom of Satan, Matthew 12, 25. It is called the kingdom of darkness, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, Revelation 16, 10. It influences the kingdoms of this world system, Luke 4, 5 through 6. And in its location, if you go to Ephesians 2, its location is the atmosphere. Ephesians 2 and there <clears throat> verse 2 <laughs> wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit now, that now worketh in the children of disobedience alright so he's called the prince of the power of the air now so that tells me that his operation is number one atmospheric okay so he does have access to planet earth we know that by the book of Job and other scriptures right so Satan does have access to planet earth but he's called the prince of the power of the air so where is his reign where's his dominion his domain his territory well the atmospheric alright we're talking about the atmosphere you're talking about the clouds. You go up and you see the clouds and, and everything. Well, up to that's the atmosphere. So that's where he is. He's in the atmosphere. That's his territory. That's his domain. That's his rule. He's not limited to the atmosphere, though. Ephesians 6 tells us this in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places or literally in heavenly places or the second heaven okay so satan his domain his territory is the atmospheric realm where you see the clouds and then above that that's called the second heaven that's what ephesians 6 is talking about the second heaven so the stars and all of that up there that you see in the second heaven, that is the territory or the domain. That's where he set up his headquarters. Okay? So the devil is not in hell this morning, nor are his angels in hell this morning. His rule is in the atmosphere, and his rule is in the second heaven. He has access to planet Earth. Now, where does God dwell? physical presence of God. Where is that? What heaven? Good. It's in the third heaven. So you have the throne of God in a third heaven where Jesus is sitting on the throne. Underneath the third heaven is the what? The solar heaven or the second heaven. So underneath the throne of God in the third heaven, you have the headquarters of Satan in the star realm or the second heaven. And then you have the atmospheric heaven, the clouds, which he also is a prince over, and he has access to the earth. You see that? You understand that? So that's his territory, that's his domain, that's his location. 
that's why oftentimes when you're praying, you don't feel like even anything is happening. You don't feel like any victory's taking place because when you're, it's just like you're praying and it's coming back down. And the reason why is when you pray, your prayer has to penetrate that atmospheric realm of Satan. It has to penetrate the second heaven, has to get up to the throne of God. But you see, Satan is going to seek to hinder. He's going to seek to hinder your prayers and your worship and the answers that God is sending to you. He's going to seek to hinder those answers from getting to you. Okay? So a lot of times when you pray and you don't see the answer, you maybe feel like nothing's happening. You don't see the answer come immediately and you're going, well, I prayed. Why didn't God answer? God did answer. But you have an enemy that you, a fortress that you have to penetrate. Those prayers have to penetrate by prayer, by praise, by worship, by using the name. Okay, so let me give you a little understanding here. That's why when you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus. So prayer is like the, the rocket. The name of Jesus is the head, the, the weapon, okay? So when you pray or you worship, you send the name into the enemy's camp and you defeat him by the name. The blood is the missile head on the rocket of prayer and praise. You understand? The word is the missile head on the rocket of prayer and praise. So what you have to do as you're praying, uh, that's the rocket that propels, and then you use the name, and it defeats the kingdom of darkness. Use the blood. It defeats the kingdom of darkness. So what you have is something that propels, amen, the weapon. And what propels the weapon is your prayer or your worship unto God. That head that explodes that's on that weapon is the name, it's the blood, it's the word of God. So you have to understand because of his domain being in the atmosphere in the second heavens that you have to penetrate that. And if you don't see the answer come back down to you immediately, it's because there's a hindrance. And that hindrance is demonic. So sometimes you have to add fasting to it. And you have to be patient. You have to wait on God because there's warfare going on, okay, in, in the atmosphere and in the, in the second heaven. And I don't know if you understand that, <clears throat> this, but in that network, in that domain of Satan, not only do you have to penetrate it, but there are lines, like highways, okay, that are moving. They're, 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 these spirits are constantly moving and intersecting, all right? There, there's lines of activity in the spirit world uh, and, and so there's a lot of things that we have to understand about spiritual warfare. We have to overcome this battle and we have to understand where it resides and we have to understand where it operates. If we don't, we'll just give up because we think, well, God didn't hear our prayer. No, he did hear the prayer. But the domain, the territory, the location of the enemy is strategic for you and I to understand because we are in a battle, amen, and we have to penetrate the, the enemy. We have to penetrate his forces, his army, if you understand, his host. And that's why a lot of people quit. Yeah. Because maybe for years they prayed, 
and they fasted and they worshiped and nothing happened in their life or in their church. And they just give up. They don't understand this tremendous network of fallen hosts that are is at, is at war with the church of the living God and God's people. You understand that? So that's why it's important, number one, to know the activity of seducing spiritual doctrines of devils in the last days. And while people will depart from the faith, it is important to know the territory of the domain so you'll understand more you're fighting in here. Okay, as a believer. Are you still fighting? That's good. Now, I will say this to you this morning, and I love all of you, and I'll say this to me. Just because I'm here this morning does not mean I'm still fighting. Just because you showed up, you understand? You might have enlisted. Just because you showed up and you enlisted into the army doesn't mean you're on the front lines doing any fighting. Okay? Now, you may think I'm really coming hard at you, but I... I feel an anointing on me to come as a, as a leader of the church, as a pastor of the church, okay, to, to wake you up and to wake myself up, to understand the kind of warfare that we're in. So I'm not trying to be arrogant or prideful or anything like that. If I'm that, then the enemy's got me. But I'm trying to help you understand something today. This is real. The battle we're in is real, okay? He's a bloodthirsty savage. He'll cut your throat, put a bullet in your head, spiritually speaking, any opportunity he can. And if at any time you become passive and lay this being a carnal, he's going to take you down. Okay? So we have to continue to contend the fight. Now, you can see it happening in the church world, not just the so-called professing church, but you can see it even in churches that one time preached the truth one time had holiness in their uh, congregations, the preachers, many of them have quit. They have quit fighting. And they're just letting the people do whatever they want to do now. Because they don't understand the great warfare that we are fighting. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? And we'll get into this in just a moment. But the way the enemy attacks you at times is not just physically. He doesn't just attack your physical health. He attacks your soul. He attacks your mind. He attacks you inwardly, and he attacks you outwardly. It is a physical and a spiritual battle that you and I are going through. Okay? Now, for me and for you, we need to understand that major sickness that comes and hits us and hits the body of Christ is not necessarily just the latest bug that's coming through. The enemy takes that and he uses that against against the people of God. So if I have sickness in my body, first of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna point a finger at him. He's hitting me with sickness. He's hitting hit me with sickness. If I have depression in my life, that's not just coming from from the, you know it's coming from a kingdom that's hitting us. All right, so you have to need and I have to understand what's going on, what I'm, what I'm up against. Look what Job went through. He lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his family. It was a satanic, demonic attack. You know? And the man was depressed, the man was discouraged, the man was hallucinating at night, he was having all kinds of fever issues, he, he thought he was about to die. That came from Satan. 
he's a vicious, malicious, bloodthirsty murderer. Okay? He wants to take every one of us out. Is that too hard for you? Is it too strong for you? <coughs> so it is a the, the domain is the rule, the reign, the territory over which the king rules. He is known as the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, and the influences of the kingdom of this world system. He's behind those. He does it from the atmosphere or the heavenly places. The good news is that his domain, his dominion, his rule is limited by God. That means he can't just do whatever he wants to in his kingdom. He answers to God because God's in control of him. So his domain is limited. <laughs> Are y'all doing all right? Now listen. In the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom, everything that's in God's kingdom patterns itself after God. Okay? If you have a kingdom and a king, then our king is Jesus Christ. Our king is God. That means that in the kingdom of God, everything is patterned after that king. Okay? That's what makes you and I so different from the world system is because we get our direction, our kingdom rule from our king, and he tells us how to live, he tells us how to dress, he tells us how to talk. He tells us everything. And we live according to his kingdom. And we pattern our life after the king. Because everything in his kingdom is patterned after him. Okay. If that be true, then the kingdom of darkness, that king, everything in that kingdom is patterned after its king. It's patterned after Satan. All right? That means the kingdom of darkness is going to be like its king. It's going to be like Satan. About that. All right? Now, <clears throat> real fast, I won't go back through all of this like we did before when we first started the Doctrine of Angels. I talked about the Doctrine of Angels. I talked about the cherubim. I talked about the fall of Lucifer. And I went to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and we looked at it. I'm not going to go to those passages and break it down for you again. But what I'm going to do is remind you what we taught. And I'm going to add a few things to you. First of all, let's talk about his fall. Okay? The fall of Satan. I'm talking about Satan first before I deal with demonic spirits and satanic uh, spirits or fallen angels. How do we have a devil? Where did the devil come from? <laughs> Has he always been the devil? Has there always been evil? Or did evil have a beginning? Did the devil have a beginning? Yes, on both accounts. The devil had a beginning as the devil. And he had, and the kingdom of darkness had a beginning. That evil kingdom had a beginning. It hasn't always existed, and it will come to an end. So let's just briefly talk about his fall. Ezekiel 28 in Isaiah 14, where it talks about the king of Tyrus and the king of Babylon. Obviously, we're dealing with something that was more than a earthly king, okay? Because the passage describes a cherubim. It describes the fall of an anointed cherub. It is more than just a man. And, and 
Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. You remember we talked about the fall of Lucifer. When did it happen? When did Lucifer fall? Anybody have any idea? Did it happen after creation? Did it happen before creation? When did the fall of Lucifer take place? Okay, good. I believe it took place before creation. Now, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible tells us, you know, he put man in the Garden of Eden to keep it in the killer. Well, the devil, in the form of a serpent, appeared to them in the garden. Which means, okay, we know for sure that he had fallen before he met Adam and Eve in the garden. All right? So the Bible is not exactly clear, but it seems, though, that he fell even before creation, as far as the timing is concerned. I do know this for sure, that he fell before he talked to Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay? Now, where did he fall? Where did it start? Where did sin start? Where did the fall start? It started in heaven. That's where, that's the location. The fall happened in heaven. Sin and evil came in heaven, the location. And when Satan sinned against God, that's when he fell. Everybody understand that? And it was no doubt probably before creation. So Ezekiel 28, 1 through 19, Isaiah 14, 4 through 23, talks about his fall. All right. Number one, he is a spirit being. Satan is a spirit being. They're spirit beings. He is not just a, a power or an influence. He is a spirit being. Now look at Job chapter 1. Remember we studied Job. Job 1 and Job 2. He doesn't come to stand before the throne as just an influence. He doesn't just come there as a as a power. He is a spirit being, and he is a personal, a personal being. Means he's an individual personality. So he doesn't just come as a force or a power against you. He is a personal being. He is a spirit being. So that means that he's invisible. Okay, you understand that? He does have a spirit body of some kind. Now, he is created, say created. <clears throat> that means if he was created, he's completely dependent upon God for his existence. So having said that, when Satan is a spirit being, he's a personal being, not just a power or an influence, and he was created by God, that means that he, he is not the opposite of God. Okay? What's the opposite of black? White. What's the opposite of night? Day. What's the opposite of God? He doesn't have any opposite. Very important for you to understand that. Satan is not the opposite of God because God has no opposite. Satan as a spirit being, a personal being, 
at one time was a para, at one time in the truth, he failed, but he was created by God. Therefore, he depends on God for his existence. Then why doesn't God come and just destroy him? If he's depending on God for his very existence, just like even those other spirits, fallen spirits that went with him, are depending on God for their existence, why didn't God just come and destroy them the moment they, they sinned against God? Because God, in His infinite wisdom, is going to allow, listen really carefully, in His infinite wisdom allowed sin to continue so that He could show that sin will eventually destroy itself. Okay. You with me here today? And in his infinite wisdom, he had to allow this to take place so that he could remove forever the possibility of a rebellion ever happening in heaven again. Okay? So God is very wise. Number one, that sin will destroy itself. Evil will destroy itself. And in the process of God's great wisdom, he will remove sin forever. It will never raise up its head again ever in heaven. Alright? There will never be a second rebellion. Okay? So, God is very wise. Instead of just coming and destroying them the moment they sinned, He allowed it so that there could be something learned from it called the mystery. The mystery. The mystery of God. Okay? It would destroy itself and never raise its head ever again in God's plan. Okay? <clears throat> so he is a spirit being. He's a personal being. He is created. He is called Lucifer. Isaiah 14. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 14. Okay, y'all with me here? Let me give you some scripture. Spirit being, not just a power or influence, a personal being. Job 1.8. Job 2, 1 through 2. Uh, he's created. He depends on God for his existence. Ezekiel 28, 13. So God literally talks about He says, In the day that thou wast what? Created. Okay? He's called Lucifer. <coughs> Isaiah 14, 12. Lucifer means day star. It means sun of the morning or light bearer. So basically, it means the shining one. Okay? That, that is his name. He's also called the anointed cherub. The anointed cherub. That's Ezekiel 28. The anointed cherub. Y'all remember when we went through these things? Okay. I'm just reminding you. The anointed cherub. And what, why does God call him the anointed cherub? Why do you just call him the cherub? We know cherub is an angelic being, right? So he was anointed cherub before he fell. Why is he called anointed cherub? Why does God say he's a cherub? Why does the Bible say he's anointed? Because in the Old Testament, we have what? Prophet, priest, and king. You me? Those were the three theocratic offices of God that were anointed. So when the Bible says he's the anointed cherub, it goes on and says that covers what God is saying 
is that he was placed in an office. That's what anointing is for. It speaks of being in an office. So, this anointed cherub named Lucifer, he had an office. And the office was really three. He was a prophet and a priest and a teacher in heaven. Okay? A prophet and a priest and a king. As a prophet, he declared the counsel of God. Okay? As a living priest, he was involved in the worship of God. He was the worship leader in heaven. And as a king, he had rulership, rulership authority from God. He ruled in the kingdom. So that is why this one-time cherub is called anointed. He was placed in an office. Okay? <clears throat> the Bible says he's anointed cherub that covers, which means that he covered the throne as the cherub covered the mercy seat, Exodus 37, verse 9. Remember the mercy seat, the cherub facing each other? Okay. The Bible says that this anointed cherub, Lucifer, uh, he's the anointed cherub that covers. That means that he was connected with the protection of the throne of God. Okay. <coughs> it also says his location, Ezekiel 28, 13, was in Edom. And it also says he was in the holy mountain of God, in the sides of the north. Ezekiel 28, 14, 16, Psalm 48, 1. Now when it says he was in the holy mountain, what does that mean? At one time he was in the kingdom of God, because mountains speak of kingdom. So he was in the kingdom of God. And then the Bible says, on the sides of the north. Okay? That's connected to heaven, the sides of the north. So his location, he was in the kingdom of God, his location in the sides of the north. You understand that? Ezekiel 28, 15, the Bible says he was perfect. So he was perfect. That means he wasn't created a devil. He was created perfect when God originally created him. It also says in Ezekiel 28, 12, he was full of wisdom. 28.12 also says he was perfect in beauty. So that's where we get this so-called teaching. He was the most beautiful angel. Because he was perfect in beauty. Okay, Ezekiel 28.12. He was decked with precious stones set in gold. Now we've covered all of this. Remember we went through the passage. I've showed it to you already. He was decked with stones in gold. Okay? He was, they were set in gold. It was very similar to the the breastplate of the high priest. Okay. Ezekiel 28 talks about the stones that were in him. And then Exodus 28 talks about the breastplate of the high priest. The very stones that were in the makeup set in gold in Lucifer was in the breastplate of the high priest. Okay. Now you understand that? <clears throat> Music was in his being. Worship 28, 13. So he was a worship leader. Musical instruments were a part of him. 
And then once, and this is something we need to go to because we didn't talk about last or the last time we taught on angels, we go to John. In John 8, Jesus gives us further understanding. John 8, 44. And he says this, Ye are of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth. Okay? Now flip that then. If he abode not in the truth, then that means at one time he was in the truth. But he didn't stay in the truth. That's why he is the original apostate. He is the original backslider out of the church of the living God. Because at one time he abode in the truth. He was in the truth. He was in the kingdom of God. But he did not stay in the truth. Now, for all these people out there that teach once saved, always saved. Once you get in the truth, once you get in the church, you can't be lost. They're insane to teach doctrine. Because if you don't abide in the truth, if you don't stay in the truth, the same outcome that the devil will experience, you will. Okay? Think about that. At one time, he was in the church, so to speak. At one time, he abode in the truth, but no longer. So he did not abide in the truth. He's the biggest loser in the universe. Okay? <coughs> okay, so that's how he was before the fall. Now, how did this anointing care of him that had so much promise, so much beauty, so much wisdom? How did he fall? This one that was in the truth, how did he leave the truth? What was the cause of it? Okay. Well, he was lifted up in pride. What was, his, what was his pride about? Which, why did he exercise pride? That's right. That's right. Because God says, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, he talks about this anointed character because it has fell iniquity upon him. And it tells us that he was lifted up in what? Pride. pride. Well, what was his pride about? What did he get prideful about? God gave him his, his beauty. God gave him his offices. God gave him his wisdom. It was all God-given. God created him and gave him these things, beauty, wisdom, and office. But what he did was he took the God-given gifts and he allowed that to create pride in him. So he was prideful over his wisdom, over his beauty, and over his office. Ezekiel 28, 17, Proverbs 16, 18, 12, and 1 Timothy 3, 6. So it's very clear in those passages that Paul, pride comes before of what? Of fall. 
But he left prideful in his heart about his beauty, about his wisdom, and about his humility. Praise God. Number two, he exalted himself and came under condemnation. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14, 1 Timothy 3, 6. Okay? He manifests self-will. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. He manifested self-will. So we have the will of God in the universe, and now we have a being that was created by God, and on all this potential, all these gifts, now he's fallen away, he's rebelling against God, he's exercising self-will. At that point, another will enters into being. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to be independent from God. Okay? So in Isaiah chapter 14, which we've already looked at, he says, I will fight back. I will fight back. So he's exercising his will against the will of God, bringing in another will into the universe and acting independent of God. That was his sin. And it was pride in his heart that brought you to that place of being. Okay? So without reading Isaiah 14, the five I wills of his ambition, number one, he said, I will ascend, self-will. Number two, I will exalt, self-exaltation. Number three, he said, I will sit, self-enthronement. Right? Number four, I will ascend above, self-ascension. I will be like God self-deification. Okay? So let me go through it with you again. I will ascend, self-will. I will exalt, self-exaltation. I will sit, self-enthronement. I will ascend above, self-ascension. I will be like God, self-deification. Those are five I wills of Satan. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus comes into the world, as we taught you, he was pierced in five places. And those five places he was pierced answers to the five I wills of Satan. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Okay? So we see then the self-will of Satan. Uh, the self-will, listen carefully, okay? Self-will, an independent spirit, a spirit that wants to be independent of God and wants to do its own thing is the essence of sin. Okay? It is the very essence and nature of sin. Alright, so he wanted to be independent of God's and he rebelled. What is rebellion? This is what happens when a person wants to be independent they want to be independent of God's rule in their life. What do they do? They rebel. What is rebellion? Lawlessness. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Okay? I want to be independent. I want to do what I want to do. Okay? Then, that is manifested in rebellion, and rebellion is lawlessness. 
and we listen, iniquity, iniquity, the Bible calls it iniquity, is rebellion against divine authority. Okay? What we have to understand is this, is that you can sin, commit sin, actions of sin in your life, and that's bad. But iniquity or rebellion is sin in the spirit. And iniquity or sin in the spirit is worse than action. Because it's inside. That's why when David prayed, he asked God to reveal if there's any iniquity in you. Lord, show me if there's any iniquity in me. If there's any, any sin on the inside of me that I don't know about. Because you know if you commit a sin and act a sin, you know that's sin. But what about on the inside of that heart that you've got there? Inside of our heart, inside of our spirit, inside of our mind. See, so iniquity is something that's inside of you. It's a sin of the spirit. That's a worse sin. So when Satan began exercise self-will, he rebelled against God, committed lawlessness, but he committed a sin that was in the spirit called iniquity. Very, very serious. He literally usurped the authority of God, the governor of God, and exercised his own independent will against God. And he didn't even pray. Uh, and that's why God dealt with him so severely. And, that, and those angels that oppressed God with him. So self-will then is the essence of sin. He wanted to be independent of God. He rebelled, committed the sin of spirit of the spirit, <coughs> lawlessness, or iniquity. And obviously we are as a result of that. Okay. Just the other day, we, we had an opportunity. You know, sometimes difficulties in your life, God brings good out of them. And a situation that I had to get some help with at my house as far as uh, getting something repaired. And we met a, a man, uh, an older man. He's got his physics degree. Uh, he owns a business. I'm not getting into the details of it as to what business that is, but he was in our house. and. This man, we didn't know it, but this man homeschooled his kids for 15 years. And uh, he was talking to my wife. <clears throat> I wasn't feeling well, so I wasn't in the room. But I listened to what he had to say. But I taught my, my kids for 15 years homeschool. And uh, here's some things he said. He said, if you want your kids to adopt the values of the school system, put them in school. He said, the school district doesn't have any values. He said, if you want them to adopt your values, he said, homeschool. And I think he said, after like, I think he said, from ninth grade or nine years of age, I can't remember, it doesn't really matter. But he said, a certain age or certain time frame. He said, if you start homeschooling at a certain point, 
He said, they will adopt your values. He said, if you put it in the school district, they will adopt the values of the school district. And the school district has them. And that's the very thing that your pastor has been telling you for years. And I know it's difficult, and I know it's hard to homeschool. But I promise you, if you take your kids and you put them in a public school, and even in a Christian school, most of them, they're going to adopt the values of those kids around you, not yours. And I know it's tough, but I thank God for each and every one of you who have taken that. I know some of you can't for obvious reasons, but for those of you who could, God bless you. Because you will see. You will see that they will they will they may go away for from it a little while. And uh, I was thinking about an individual right now that's not in the church. You know what came to me? What gave me hope? Hope about this one individual in front of the church right now, young girl. What gave me hope was her mama homeschooled. That's what gave me hope. What gave me hope, it wasn't the fact that she was raised in the church. We know the devil can backslide out of a perfect situation. What gave me hope was that her mama homeschooled her. Did you hear what your pastor said? That the fact that she was homeschooled gives her a fighting chance that she'll make it back and get mom in. I said all that to say this. He said, this man said this, that <clears throat> if you study the book of Genesis, you will see that respect flows upward, love flows down. Meaning that in the family, respect must be there. It flows upward from the kids to the parents, from the wife to the husband, from the husband to God. If you have that respect then, <coughs> kids, parents, wife respects the husband, the husband respects God, you will have love. But if you do not have respect that flows upward, you cannot have love that flows down. And I, listen, I'm telling you, there are so many people today, all they believe is love. If you don't have respect, you can't have love. It's impossible. And here's the kicker, if you want it that way. You have to demand it. Because if you don't demand respect, and you call it love, you don't have love. You have anarchy rebellion to receive it. So if you want true love in your house, number one, the man must respect God. If the man doesn't respect God, he can't love his wife. Because respect flows upward, love flows down. So as the man respects God, love's going to flow down to that husband. As the wife respects the husband, love's going to flow from that husband down to the wife. As those children respect the parents, 
love is going to flow down from the throne. The whole point is this. If you don't have respect, it's impossible for you to have love. If you don't respect God, you can't love God. So when the devil rebels against God, that means he set aside his respect for God. And the whole thing fell apart. Disorder, chaos, and confusion killed the universe. Okay? So, you have to maintain respect. Now, you want to come to a church? And you want to talk about, let's have a church full of love. The moment you stop respecting, Start, you start rebelling against authority. You start disrespecting the authority that's in the house of God. You no longer are going to extend love from the universe. You're going to sit there and say, what's wrong? Because you have violated the very basic principle. Respect must flow up and then love. God doesn't love the devil. Because the devil doesn't you don't respect God. You don't respect authority in your life. You don't have to love in your home, in your church. Okay. You're doing it. That is why you can't just let anarchy go. You just can't let people do whatever they want to do. Amen? Because if you do, then you lose the very thing you want, and that's you must demand okay? you must demand respect from your children that's why a husband if that if that child's back talking uh, to that mother and you don't do anything about it you are undermining your own authority your own authority you have to demand respect and your kids can respect that woman that you're married to, that mother, and you cannot allow them to back talk her and treat her any way they want to treat her. And if you don't love God, sir, you can't love your children. You'll have all kinds of chaos and conflict and problems in your home. You understand? So it's important for me to love God so I can love respect God and love God. can't love God if I don't respect God. If I respect God, I can love God. And if I do that, then guess what? I'll love my wife. And I'll love my kids. Man, if you don't have that respect, you don't have anything. But, you know, we want to talk about us men. I know I'm sidetracked a little bit from the doctrine of devils and demons, but this is important. We want, you know, our wives to respect us. We want our wives to obey us. If you don't respect the authority of God in your house, you wonder why it's not working for you. I don't care if you leave the church tomorrow. I want to leave the building tomorrow. I want it to work. I want it to work in my life. I want it to work in my family. I want it to work in your life. And that's why, even though it's very difficult for you to homeschool, 
you are putting your God in this world. If you know their values, which are no values, which are no values. So you have to, you have to lay that down. Like, this is what we're going to do. It's about God. And we're going to respond to your head of the house. I'm going to respect God for I love my house. My wife can respect me, so amen. I can love her. And my kids can respect my parents. So the love will flow down. You got to give me that proper order. Respect flows down. Love And the moment that the devil stops respecting God, he says, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to exercise my own authority. I'm not going to be accountable anymore. I will be independent. The moment you get that, that issue is cast down. As the originator of sin, first point of that is the first point of prosperity. That's why you need to understand, and, and this is what I'm trying to understand myself, is that I cannot allow anarchy in my home. I can't allow rebellion in my home. I can't allow it because to do so is not just an attack against my home. It is an attack against God. You are letting the enemy bring up against God Almighty. You don't demand respect. Think that? So well, if respect is unearned, yeah, but it's also demanded when it flows in a public manner. How do I want it to be? I don't want to be successful. I want to be successful in my home. I want to be successful in my church. I want to be successful in my job. This is why the devil is the biggest failure of all time. His job is to protect This is the key thing. Because it's not just an action you commit, it is a sin inside of your spirit. And that's why David said, God, your will to make it easy with the angel of God, your will to be done. There's things in me I, inside sin in my spirit that I'm not even aware of that I can take care of. Or show it to you. I've got to tell you, you have to tell me. What I say, I don't just say to you, I say to me. What I'm preaching to you right now, this is what this word says. Okay? Homeschool this kid for 15 years. Owns his own business. This kid was successful. Years ago, respect goes up to And this is the very thing that the devil sought to So anybody says, well, we're going to love, the Bible says, and love rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't rejoice in the truth. You have some kind of strange love if your love overlooks the mystery. You're talking to me about I don't I don't mean to come across as judging your spirit, but I'm trying to help you. And I'm trying to help me. 
Is Deception is not just a lie. 
accepted and believed it, it did not. But he was, he was so self-deceived, he faced his life. Y'all see why I wrote at the end of this lesson, thank you, Jesus, for this lesson. Because I need it. John 8 44, he became a liar. <coughs> he became a liar, so he is a liar. He's not just a liar, he is a lie. Big lie. Amen. <coughs> Is the original Antichrist, Genesis 3 1 through 6, first apostate, cause the other angels to sin in heaven. Now, Ezekiel 28 17 and 18, uh, James 3 15. The Bible tells us that he was very, that he was wise. He was perfect in wisdom. This is interesting because when the Lord took him and cast him out of heaven, he became the devil. God allowed him to retain his wisdom. That was interesting. God didn't strip him of his wisdom. He allowed him to retain his wisdom. But the wisdom that he uses, that he has, is corrupted. So he uses that wisdom. Now he was perfect in wisdom. You can think about the deception that he brings to people. And the wisdom that God didn't take away from him. It, it was corrupted. He uses it to deceive people. He's been there a lot longer than you. He's been around a lot longer than you or I. You say you can outsmart the devil. Only God is wiser than Anybody who is wiser than the devil. You and I have to depend on the wisdom of God. Because if you are relying on your own human intellect, you are no match for the devil. If you think you can sit down and plan and plan with your own mind, read and figure things out with your own mind, you are no match for the devil. We have to rely on the wisdom of God. He's very Word of God, because he still has his wisdom, it's corrupted. He uses it to So he's been around a long time. You think you can have smart him? There's a lot more than you. <coughs> he will be destroyed by fire. Ezekiel 48, 18, Matthew 24, and 41, destroyed by fire. Okay? <clears throat> Let's go praise the Lord. So that's how he fell. I'm going to go real fast because I'm really running out of time here. 
nature. Give you two times in the Bible to talk to. Give you two times in the Bible. He's called Satan. Or literally, not just Satan, but the Satan. The Satan. Hasatan. Hasatan, the Hebrew, Hasatan. The Satan. Okay? He is the Satan, or literally the adversary, or the hater. He is the enemy. See, when you talk about, he's called 50 times the adversary, he is the enemy, uh, the hater in the Bible. He is the hater. He is the adversary. He is the enemy. Okay. Job 1.6 and 12. He's called 35 times in the Bible, devil. Devil means accuser, slanderer, whisperer. Amen. He slanders God to man and slanders man to God. Right? Now, and, and it's interesting to me that the word devil also means, doesn't, doesn't just mean slander, it means whisperer. What do people do when they want to slander you? They do it behind closed doors. They do it on the telephone. That's the devil. 35 times he's called the devil. The whisperer of a slanderer. Or accuser. <clears throat> he's called a serpent. What is a serpent? Why is he called a serpent? Because as a serpent, he's an enchanter. As a serpent, he uses his wisdom to deceive. So he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. That his deception is his chief tool. It is the chief tool of the devil. So when he comes as a deceiver with wisdom to turn you from God, he is coming as a serpent. Dragon. Why is he called a dragon <clears throat> in the Bible? Revelation 12. Why is he called a dragon? Because the dragon depicts him as being this vicious beast. Okay? He's a vicious beast. Bloodthirsty. That's why the Bible says in Revelation, look at him, he's red, he's a red dragon. He's bloodthirsty. called Beelzebub. Beelzebub was a title that was used of a pagan god. Have you ever heard of the term Beelzebub? Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. Okay? This was a title of a false god. Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. He became known as the leader of all evil spirits. So he's called Beelzebub. He's the leader of all evil spirits. He's the God of the dunghill. You know what a dunghill is, right? He's the Lord of the flies. He's the God of the dunghill. He's over all, all evil spirits. How would you like to be the Lord of flies or the God of the pile of dung? What he is. Beelzebub. <coughs> 
but we start to agitate you like a fly. You know who it is, it's Beelzebub, right? What they do with the sheep, sheep are causing flies, larvae, flies get up into these snows, they put larvae up in these snows, and that larvae would hatch out and it drive that sheep crazy, man. What they do, you know what they do to cure that sheep? Those hatch out eggs of that fly drive you crazy. Get you get drunk with head and oil. Amen. The devil starts messing with you, hatching fly larvae up in your head and everything else. Just dump your head in the morning with God. It'll kill all of that out. Take it out. You need some help. Come see me. Get your head right down there. Oh, you'd be surprised what shepherds are called upon to do. Dropping their heads with that sheep into the into the oil, you know, to get rid of that sort of flies problem. Break with their legs. Quit straying off. Break their legs. Literally. They stand right there and they can come so close to your temple, you know, until that leg gets healed. Call the bell sheep. You ever see a bell sheep? It's the one that always strayed off all the time. The shepherd had to break its leg so it wouldn't keep running off. And sometimes you may feel like that, man, Pastor broke my leg. Well, I didn't really enjoy it, but you kept wandering off. Thank God those, those sheep are coming close to the shepherd. Oh, <coughs> so he's Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, God of the Dungeon. He's called the God of this age. Oh, Dungeon, let me give you this Beelzebub. All right, 2 Kings 1 2, Matthew 6 25, 12 24 through 27. And he's called the God of this age. 2 Corinthians 4 4, Galatians 1 4. The God of this age, the present evil age. He's called the Prince of this world system, John 12 31. 14, 30, and 16. He's called the Prince of the Power of the Air, Ephesians 2, 2, 6, 12. He's called Lucifer, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10. He's called Belial. Say Belial. And he's worthless. I told you I wasn't bringing any accusation against him. This is what God said. He is worthless, he's Belial. You heard the term, the sons of Belial. Sons of the worthless one. That means he's worthless, he's perverse, he's lawless. Second Corinthians 6.15. He is an enemy. Satan. Hater, hostile. Matthew 13, 31. <coughs> he's called a tempter. Matthew 4, 3. He entices us to sin. He's called the wicked one. Matthew 13, 19. And 38. He's called an angel of light, Luke uh, 10, 18, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. He's called the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, 10, Job 1, 6 through 7. He's called the prince of Christ. That means those are against Christ and have the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 2, 18 through 22. 1 John 4, 1 through 4. He's called adversary, an enemy, 1 Peter 5, 8. 
called murderer. John 8, 44, he's killing his story of life. He's called a liar. John 8, 44, he's called a sinner. That's John 3, 8. <coughs> he's called a bad Apollyon, destroyer, Revelation 9, 11. He's called roaring lion. First Peter 5, 8, he's called a wolf. John 3, 12. He's called a thief. John 3, 10. He's called a wicked one. Hurtful evil in Matthew 13, 19. He's called the fowler. He's one of the traps, Psalm 91, 3. He's called King of Edom. Acts 26, 18, Matthew 12, 26, and 29. He's called the angel of the bottomless pit, Revelation 9, 11. He's called Leviathan, seven headed dragon of the sea, water on He's called the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 3. <coughs> All right. Sorry, I had to go so quickly. Okay, his activities. I'm almost done. His activities. He tempts to sin. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. His activity is sin. Original rebellion against divine authority. 1 John 3 8, Ephesians 2 2. His activity, deception. Genesis 3, Revelation 13, 4. Okay, let me just stop real quick on that. When you see a major activity of Satan like deception in Genesis 3, he deceives. Okay? In Revelation chapter 12, the Bible talks about he's going to come down to He's only got a short time. So he's coming down to what? To deceive. So at the beginning, I mean at the end of time, especially when we get to the end of time, his major activity is going to be deceived. That has to do with communication, has to do with talking, has to do with what he's telling you, has to do with what you're listening to. Okay? Wow, it's just, he'll tell you anything. He'll tell you the pastor don't love you. He'll tell you, he'll tell you you can't be saved. Amen? He'll tell you it's all right to sin. He'll tell you it's all right, on and on. He'll tell you anything. Okay? Chief. He afflicts us physically and mentally. 1 Corinthians 5 5, Luke 13 16, 2 Corinthians 12 7. He brings opposition. He's war against God and his people. Revelation 12 4. And he is a murderer. <coughs> now, in closing, this is something you need to know. Uh, he is a counterfeiter. Satan. He's a counterfeiter. Now, this is going to blow your mind. What I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. Because you've read it in the Bible, but a lot of times you don't you don't really think about what you're reading. Okay? But <clears throat> as a counterfeiter, he knows that man was created to worship. So by nature, by nature, everybody, it doesn't matter if you're in the church or outside of the church, by nature, everybody is religious. And the devil knows it. And he knows that by nature, man is a worshiper. So therefore, if man doesn't worship the one true living God of the Bible, man is going to worship 
even after they're in the church, they're not they're worshiping something. They're worshiping themselves, money, whatever, position, power. You as an individual created by God were created to be with him. You know that. So what he's done then is he's come to set up a counterfeit to that. A counterfeit worship system. Very quickly, this is going to blow your mind. I don't think you realize how much the Bible says about this counterfeit religious system. Okay? Now, before we go further, he knows that about man, that we were made to worship, that we are religious by nature. But what did he say in Isaiah 14? He said, How will be like God? Now think about that. He said, I will be like God. That doesn't mean that he wants to be holy like God. It doesn't mean that he wants the characteristics of God, like holiness and righteousness. What it means is he wants to be worshipped like God. So it's a different kind of religion. Okay? And I know some of you might say, well, I'm not either. Okay. <clears throat> so he sets up a counterfeit religion that is an imitation, an imitation of everything about God. Okay, now watch this. He has a counterfeit throne. Revelation 2 13. The Bible talks about the depths of Satan's doctrine. He has doctrine and no Jesus. Revelation 2, 24. He has a synagogue. Revelation 2, 9 and Revelation 3, 9. He has a communion table. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. One of his communion tables are palaces. First Corinthians 10 21, a communion table. He has a sacrifice at his altar. Deuteronomy 32 17, first Corinthians 10 10. He has a cup. First Corinthians 10 21. He gives his doctrines to men to teach. First Timothy 4 1. He's called an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, 14. He has messengers. 2 Corinthians 11, 13. Messengers. Okay? Demonic and human messengers. 2 Corinthians 11, 13. He has a kingdom. Matthew 12, 26. He works miracles, signs, and wonders. But they're counterfeit. Now put counterfeit in front of all of this. He does counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. Revelation 16, 14. Exodus 7, 8 through 12. He has false apostles, false prophets, false teachers. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 14. 2 Peter 2, 1. Mark 13, 24. False apostles, false prophets, and false teachers. He has a city called Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17, 5. 
we have the Harlot Church, Revelation 7.35. He wants worship. Leviticus 17.17, Deuteronomy 32.17, Revelation 9.20, Matthew 4. He wants worship. That means demonic spirits want worship. He has a false Christ, 1 John 2, 18-22. Counterfeit manifestations. Counterfeit manifestations. Right? I'm not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> Remember on the chart. Revelation 13. In God, the Godhead, you have Father, Son, Holy Ghost. In the Godhead. Revelation 13. The feast that rises up out of the sea. Anti-Father. The Antichrist is anti-son, and the false prophet is anti-spirit. But that's his counterfeit to the Godhead. Okay? The beast coming up out of the sea, anti-father, the Antichrist, anti-son, and the false prophet. Chapter 2 talks about the mystery of iniquity. And then 1 Corinthians 16 talks about the mystery of godliness. Now think about that. The mystery of godliness, 1 Corinthians 16, is God manifesting himself in the flesh. The mystery of iniquity is man making himself God. So the Antichrist is going to be a man making himself God. That's the mystery of iniquity. That's what godliness is God making. Godliness in contrast to that, we have the mystery of iniquity. Um, he desires human bodies to be his temple. John 13, 27. <coughs> in Revelation 13, he seals his followers. Do you hear all of that? That is his counterfeit, that is his imitation of the things of God. Very, very interesting. Okay. Very quickly, almost done. Last thing. His judgment. <coughs> Started. Started in heaven. Sin against God. Rebel against God. Okay, his fall, <coughs> his judgment, cast out of the immediate presence of God, out of heaven, came down to the earth, tempted man to sin. When he did that, what did God do in Genesis 3? Cursed him. Where? On the earth. So judgment in the heavens, he's been judged in the heavens, cast out of the immediate presence of God. He was cast down to the earth, and then when he tempted man to sin, then God put a curse on him. So judgment in the earth. Right? 
defeated at the cross, conquered at the cross, John 16, 11. Understand? How you doing, Jeff? Okay. He's being conquered by the church. He's being conquered by the church. How? The greatest defeat of the enemy, the way he's being conquered by the church. Yeah, when we pray, we worship God, give him glory. But the way we conquer the devil as the church is when we bring people out of his kingdom into the kingdom of God. When we do that, the church is conquered. Okay? You, you're tired of the devil messing with you and your family? Go out and win souls. Every soul you win to God, you're conquering the devil. And then <clears throat> Revelation 12, 4, is those things that's going to be cast to the earth in the middle of the tribulation period, and then they'll be cast down to the pit. Right? Revelation 20 for a thousand years, and then later it'll be cast into the lake of fire. That's the judgment of all on Satan. <clears throat> now the last thing I want to point out to you is where will he this final judgment be? In Matthew 25. devil and his angels, their judgment. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now listen, hell was not made for man. Hell, hell was not made, God didn't make hell for you. He didn't make hell for me. He made hell, he was prepared for the devil and his angels. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine is slain them. And the harp and the vial, the tablet, the pipe, and wine are in their feast, and they regard not the work of the Lord. Neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity, for they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished, and their multitudes dried up with thirst. Therefore, therefore, hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices, rejoices shall receive his reward. So Matthew 25, 41 says that hell was made for the devil and his angels, wasn't made for man. But Isaiah 5 says hell hath enlarged. 
day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Isaiah 14. <coughs> Verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell sides of I want God to bless me this, this morning because it, it gives me so much understanding Thank you. 